It's November 20th. It's 3.08 in the morning in Washington, D.C. I can't sleep, obviously, and I'm using voice memos, even though I know Marcel and Jacob and Megan are going to be like, this file's trash. Why do you send us these trash files? And my brain is just very wired right now for a lot of reasons. November, it's my griefiest month, folks. Maybe you know that. It is a month that has been hard since I was a little kid. Not a little kid, but a kid. I was in seventh grade when my uncle Tom had an accident. He worked in construction, and I guess I still really don't know what happened, but he was on a site and he wasn't properly harnessed or he was rushing. He fell and he was in a coma and then he died. We never really talked about it. I remember for some reason finding a paper on the counter in my parents' kitchen and it was a death certificate, a death report. I just remember paging through this document that seemed medical and seemed official and never mentioning that I'd done that, and not wondering at all why this would be sitting on the counter, why my mother would have gotten it, what it could have meant to her. I remember the funeral. I remember seeing my mother cry. I can only imagine the pain of losing a sibling. And at night, I would cry about it. I would cry because I knew my cousins didn't have a dad anymore. And I had imagined that kind of loss as a kid. But seeing it happen to someone I knew made it seem so real. Years later, decades later, November would be the month when... My boyfriend had brain surgery to remove a tumor. It would be three years after that, on November 11th, when I took him to that same emergency room where that tumor had been discovered. And the doctors, who we now knew, called the social worker, and they called the social worker for one reason, which is to tell you something hard, which in this case was that Aaron's brain cancer was back. It was worse. There was nothing to do, and that he would be entering hospice care. And it was two weeks later that he died. And I know you know this story already. So do I. <laughs> this podcast was started in response to that, in response to Aaron's life and Aaron's death and to being left behind, to being still here, knowing that the only way to honor a person you love who has died is to do your best to really live. But I didn't know how to do that. <laughs> I didn't know how to, how to grieve. I'd never seen it assumed that it was supposed to be over once the funeral happened, assumed that the way that I felt things, which was deeply and for a long time, was just 
wrong. That's where the show came from. The show started in, and we started working on it long, long before, but it came out in November 2016. And the strange thing about November is it has also given me so much. A year after Aaron died, I met my current husband. I met Matthew, and I was so not ready (laughs) for him, for love, for any of that. And what I will always remember about that night is that the air in November, cold air, not air where I live now in Phoenix, but the air that you get when there's real winter on the horizon, it's so sharp, that cold. I was sitting in a backyard with my friend Mo, and she's also widowed, and it had been such an intense year of running from my feelings, sometimes physically. I used to run. I find that thought repulsive now, but at the time I was like, yeah, I'll go run five miles because <laughs> people cannot tell when you're crying when you're running. I actually run pretty slowly, so I'm sure they were like, yeah, no, we can tell. But I was so tense. I could not even turn my head. It felt like My shoulders and neck were completely locked and Matthew shows up and all I can think is like, fuck, and I have to pretend to care about some new person who's sitting here or I have to pretend to know his name. And he sat and listened to Mo and I talk for hours and he asked questions and he was never afraid of it. But I was so afraid of it. And a year later, I had his baby. (laughs) I had his baby. And if you heard episode zero, you know that I was carrying so much shame around that. Around just the fact that I was living, really. And that I was living a life that I had assumed I would have with someone else who I still loved, who I still love to this day. And there's this cultural expectation. Maybe it's just that I grew up Catholic, which is just that if you're grateful enough, it will cancel out the grief. At some point, I don't remember seeing that as like a something that floated around on Tumblr. Maybe we're talking, this is ancient internet culture. I mean, I think it said something like, if you're grateful, you can't be fearful. And I shared that. I was like, "Mm -hmm, if you are grateful, you can't be afraid. No, 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 you sweet little dummy. You can be so many things at once and you can be grieving and grateful at the same time, in the same moment. Those two things can and do coexist all the time. November is a month that brings all of this back to me. And there's so much to be I hate that, like, grateful, but there is so much to be grateful for. I did get a beautiful, mean little baby (laughs) out of this month. He's so mean to me. I'm laughing, but truly, I'm sometimes like, do you like me? And he's like, eh, eh, I've seen better. One of his cousins this summer was like, you're not very nice to your mom. And he goes, "Uh, I can be, and gave me, like, that pat, 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 like, very robotic hug. I was like, oh, yikes. I got this beautiful, mean little baby 
I got Matthew. And today I'm in DC. I know this is going to sound incredibly fancy. It is. My life is so glamorous. I wore tights for the first time today. I was afraid they were going to like roll down into a donut around my belly. But I was here to talk at a cancer event with an oncologist and his wife. And I got off the plane and the air was cold. I think that so far this month, I felt like I can avoid the physical manifestations of this month because I changed cities and I changed climates. And I did do that intentionally. I did that very intentionally. But here I am and I wept on stage (laughs) just to look into a person's eyes who spends their entire life treating cancer and trying so hard to cure it and doing research and to look at his wife who is still alive and realize like, oh, it happens for some people and still you don't come out unscarred. There are days where I am so aware of everybody's humanity that it is almost too much. I don't know if November will always be like this. And today I got a call from a friend, a new friend, a friend I've known a few months in in Phoenix who had said ever so casually on a morning walk, my boyfriend died. (laughs) Um, You know, my boyfriend died in 2008. And we carried on because sometimes you can tell when someone wants to just plant a seed with you and isn't ready to sort of pull up the whole route. I don't know enough about gardening to be making these analogies. But today this friend called and they said, I feel like I'm so stuck in this feeling, this sadness, this grief keeps returning to me. And I don't know if I'm doing this wrong. I don't know if something is wrong with me. And I don't know either, but I don't think so. I don't think so for a lot of reasons. And it's because I know my mom is still sad. (laughs) I know my mom is still sad every November. I know she's sad more than just November. Like, of course she is. And I gave a whole TED Talk about not moving on from grief, but moving forward with it. And I do stand by that. And the thing about moving forward with it is that it will still hurt. It will still hurt. And it's not just the day that Aaron died that hurts. His birthday hurts. (laughs) Seeing Ralph get older hurts. Seeing Ralph start to understand what he lost. We unpacked our Christmas stuff in early November because it takes a lot to sort of bring the Christmas feeling to Arizona, you got to start, or at least you can like ramp it up and like really remind yourself it's coming, it's coming. Holiday, cheer, cheer, cheer. Christmas decorations specifically, the tackier the better. I do not do themes. We do not live in Pinterest. We live in a household. We're unpacking our decorations, and Ralph took out Aaron's first Christmas stocking, this little needlepoint stocking that his mother made for him for his first Christmas where she knew you could never know. And Ralph said, oh, I'll hang this one up. We always have to hang this up. 
of course we will always hang it up. But he held it so gingerly, like it was precious to him. Because it is. And of course it is. These moments aren't just sad. There is still so much happiness. But I think the march of time is rude. And seven years seems inconceivable to me. It seems like it was two minutes ago, or sometimes it seems like it was a hundred years ago. It's time is so irrelevant. Certain dates just make time um, undeniable. It makes it undeniable. I always want there to be like a specific thing that I do on this day. But this day, this time, Aaron's death anniversary falls on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I have told this story in previous Happyish Holidays episodes. I wrote about it in an op-ed for the New York Times last year. I said, you don't have to fake it through Thanksgiving. My family did. Aaron died two days before Thanksgiving in 2014. And we thanksgiving We gave thanks, allegedly. It was so miserable. There was so much silence. I was so unwell. I laid on the couch and just scrolled through Tumblr all night. And I remember my mom saying, like, come join us. Come be with us. And I was like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> like, Not that I didn't want to be with my family, but I didn't want to be here in this reality. And yet I like my reality right now. I like parts of it, right? There isn't a world where I would say, mm, God, Thank God Aaron died so I could have a new husband and a new kid and, and some bonus kids and a podcast. Well, yeah, you're definitely worth a podcast and some books. And no, of course not. And also, there was no trade to make. You get what you get and you do throw a fit in my case. I didn't want that reality. And I love this reality. And I think it bears repeating to myself that you can, I can, we can miss what we had and love what we have. I am not doing Thanksgiving this year. I don't want to. One, I don't love it. I like potato-based sides and I like pies. But as a proud person of Irish descent, I can eat a potato every day and I do. I already do that. I don't know what I want to do. I still don't have like a... Thing that I always do. I don't have a thing that I always do. There's nothing magical about seven years having passed except this fact that probably isn't a fact. The kind of fact that you see on Instagram or Twitter or probably TikTok now. And who knows how it seeped into my consciousness. Who knows where I first heard this. It was something like, in seven years, all the cells in your body will be replaced. And I remember the night that Aaron died, sitting cross-legged on the bed with my purple hair, which I had dyed purple because I had a hair appointment when he was on hospice care. And if you want to judge me for that, fine. But 
You know, my sister-in-law did my hair. She was very hard to book with. And also then it messes up her whole day. Then she doesn't get paid. And he loved Carly. And he also loved when I looked good. And so before I left, I said, what should I do with my hair? And he said, make it purple. And I did. I did very purple. It was so purple, the purplest purple. And I got home and he was like, what's with your hair? Because he had a brain tumor. He was like, what? I said, purple? God. And I had to walk around with like Vikings colored hair. I was sitting on the bed in my LLB pajamas with purple hair. There was a floor length mirror next to our door. And I was sitting cross-legged on the bed and I took a picture in the mirror because it was the first night that I was going to go to bed as a widow. And I don't know why I needed a picture, but I remember thinking, in seven years, there won't be any cells that knew him. For a long time, I've thought about that all the time. I would get my hair cut and think, oh, but that inch of hair knew Aaron. Like, he felt that hair. I would exfoliate and be like, oh, God, but that dead, dull skin on my face knew Aaron. I would cut my nails and think, oh, that part of my nail knew Aaron. But every part of me knows him and always will. Sometimes time can make you feel like you made it up. I'm very attached to the Red Album by Taylor Swift and... I know that it is widely hailed as a breakup album. And yes, I toyed with the idea of briefly breaking up with Matthew just to enjoy the release of all the songs from The Vault as she released Taylor's version. But I don't hear it as a breakup album because when it came out in 2012, Aaron and I were married. He had cancer. We were living together in this shitty little house. (laughs) like It has since been flipped. And I'm sure it's adorable now. It was a dump. He paid money for, can't believe it. And we were living in this little house and it was so creaky and it was so tiny. And I just remember we had like Christmas lights for decorations, like white strands of Christmas lights. And We had made it so cute and so cozy, but it was still so gross. And when I met Erin, we bonded over at Taylor Swift. First, we were talking about her on Twitter. Then we brought it to an in-real-life conversation. I handed him the People magazine issue, Taylor Tells All, which is like a breakdown of like which songs are about which guys. She was on the cover. He had wanted to read it. I was like, I got it. I stole it from work. (laughs) Stole it from the coffee table at work. Like... The place where you let clients wait and you give them good reading materials. No, I swipe that immediately. Aaron was on the forefront. This is this is before Red, this before 1989, this is before any sort of pop crossover. And he was like, trust me, like I am with you. This woman is a songwriter. She is a star. I was like, You're speaking my language. He was also the only man I'd ever met who owned Mandy Moore's Wild Hope CD. And he felt the same way about Mandy as I did, which is Yeah, I like her, not ironically. Like she can write a song and she can carry a tune. She is an artist. That album is perfect, by the way, if you want to go stream. It's just, oh my God, so good, so good. But when Red came out, yes, he was sick. And also the hope of it all is in there. The autumn leaves falling like pieces into place 
we would drive up Highway 169 up to this land that his grandfather had where we would eventually put his ashes in the Rum River. I don't know if that's illegal. No one tell the DNR. And we would go on these drives and we would listen to that album. And that album to me just feels like falling in love. And there is so much hope in that album. Besides the wrenching breakup parts, there's also just that effervescence of finding someone and the way that you marvel over everything that you like about them. And that is what that album gives me. The first parallel is to All Too Well, which is like, I do remember it all. I remember it all. And it was rare, and we were there. And there's this other song that I absolutely love, that I think about all the time. It's Holy Ground. And, I mean, the line is so simple, but, you know, darling, it was good. Never looking down. And right there where we stood was holy ground. And it was. Like, it was. And it still is. It still is. And I think the depth of feeling that I can and often do, sometimes inadvertently, have access to is from knowing that, is from knowing that even this, this kind of pain, this kind of love, this kind of life where I'm also married to a person who I love so much, like this is holy too. And I am sadly lucky to have a person who, I don't know if he understands it, but he respects it. And he's never made me feel like it's wrong and that, you know, he's here. So I better just love him and suck it up. <laughs> like a person who, when folklore came out, let me just cry. <laughs> let me just cry about the song Cardigan because Aaron wore Cardigan. <laughs> And to some people, this will sound so unhinged, <laughs> and it might be, but my therapist has heard it all, and he's like, you know, it makes sense, makes sense, makes sense. He's the kindest person, besides my husband's. So seven years, here we are. This is it. I guess in five days it will be seven years. I don't know how I'll feel on that day. This might be it. This might be the emotive outpouring that I'm capable of this week because it's the middle of the night and I cannot sleep and my mind was racing with all of these disparate thoughts about this experience of my life, which is not what I would have picked. I wouldn't trade any of it. I would obviously trade the part where Aaron dies, but you don't get to trade. <laughs> like, you don't get a trade. I love so much the life that I had with Aaron. I love so much this life that I have now. And because so much of the past five years has also been me trying to earn my keep on this earth and I don't mean just financially although that too but like 
It's been me trying to feel like I have earned my place here. Aaron was so good. And so what can I do to prove that it's okay that I'm still alive, that I still deserve to be happy? How many podcast episodes can I make? What else can I write? What can I start? What can I make for other people? Oh, you don't like that? I'll do this other thing. And truly running, just doing things. And I mean, I guess all of it is a part of this process, but I don't know that all of it was healthy for myself or for the people around me. I don't know that all of it was necessary. And I really don't live with a lot of regrets. I don't dwell on that, but I think sometimes surviving a person that you love leaves you with this sense that you have to alchemize it into something and it has to be shiny and it has to be good and it has to be good for other people. I think that is a very natural inclination we have when our life explodes to either curl ourselves around those sort of dying embers of what was or do you open our arms and hopefully fan a bigger flame to keep somebody else warm we want to help we are built for that we are built for compassion we are built for community and also it's okay if you don't that doesn't make you selfish it is okay if the only thing that you do in the wake of loss, in the wake of a huge monumental change, is just survive. That is enough. That is enough. And I'm saying that for myself now, and I'm saying that for myself in the past, and I'm saying that for anybody who feels a frenetic need as part of the grief process to immediately make meaning or make good someday yeah maybe <laughs> maybe you can maybe you should someday but also if you don't if you didn't if you never did okay okay